Happy Friday, ladies and gentlemen. This is episode number 124 of Shut Up and Grind with your host, yours truly, Robert B. Foster. I'm not rocking the tank top today because I'm excited for the first time since October of 2019. My fitness team and I are heading up to New Hampshire for the Spartan Super. So I'm rocking my Spartan Super shirt today. So it's a very exciting thing. So m- most people know I'm, I'm a diehard obstacle racer. I love this stuff. So not being able to do it for the last year has really, really sucked. So we've done a couple of races so far, but this is the first Spartan of the season. So rocking the Spartan gear. All right. So if you're new to the show, please make sure you like, share. And who's this? This is Jennifer. I'm so jealous. Sorry, Jen. Sorry. <laughs> you know, so if you're new to the show, it's about overcoming obstacles. We, we talk about you and we share, you know, I'll share my personal stories. I'll bring guests on to share their stories of how they overcame things when life threw them curveballs. Because we're all going to get thrown them. Nobody has an easy shot at life. Even people who are born into financial security still have to put in work to keep it. Because we've seen people hit the highest highs and we've seen those same people hit the lowest lows. So everybody goes goes through it for whatever reason. So everyone does. So I want you to, to just understand that there's ways through it. Okay, there's ways through it. And the purpose of this show is to show you the how. So because anybody can talk about what happens to them. Sorry, I just got thrown off. because I, I keep the live feed on my phone, but I must have hit yesterday's show. So I was like, I was like, my intro isn't playing. Like, why isn't the intro playing? So, any which way. Okay, I'm back in action now. We got Marcy's episode, yeah. All right, yeah, so we show you the hows. And why should you listen to me? Allow me to introduce myself. I started doing workshops and doing groups where I'm getting up in front of of others, like outside of the gym setting and talking about resilience and perseverance and goal setting and vision and taking action. You should know what one hour of your time is worth. You should know the value that you bring to the marketplace. You know what your passion is. starts with clarity of vision. If you don't have the clarity of vision, whatever next thing you get, you're not gonna see it through because you don't have the clarity of vision. So the the point of my pain was being told you will never run or jump again. And all that stuff, I was like, you know what? Like, I wanna be able to take this even bigger. You know why you do what you do. You have to know how to charge for what you do. That's how you're gonna change your life, and that's how you're gonna leave a legacy for your children and your family. You gotta know your work. All right, so that's a little little snapshot into what I do and why I do it. So. One thing I want to stress is, oh, I started this a year ago when our gyms were forced to shut down, and I didn't know what what to do. I didn't have it. Well, I mean, I did have some of the equipment, but I didn't really know what to do with it. I didn't know who my target audience was. I didn't know where I would find guests or how I would do it, but I just started. That's it. I just started with episode number one, and I, I didn't have any guests. It was just me. I picked a topic. I came on here, and I just started talking. And then once I got my first guest, I was like, all right, good, good. And I was only doing one show a week at a time. And so I found a group that allowed us to, to market. And so I posted just one post into this group. And then I filled up, I believe this was in October of last year. And I filled up from October into January on that one day a week. So I was like, all right, let me add a second day. Now, then I added a third day. And now I do four per week. And I'm booking into February right now. So the point of that, and we're being heard in 22 different countries on every podcast platform available. You know, so, but none of it would have would have been able to happen if I didn't start. So it doesn't have to be perfect. It just has to be done. Because you can always expand on the done. So if you're sitting on an idea or something that that can help other people and then in turn can help you and your family just get it started. Like doesn't have to be perfect. Don't wait. 
just get going, then you can always make it better. The worst thing you can do, and I'll even use the gyms as an example, there's people that build beautiful, beautiful gyms, state-of-the-art equipment and the flooring and the turf, and you get all the machines, but you also have a mountain of debt and no clients. So like I started mining the spare bedroom of my house, and then I moved to my garage, and then I moved to a local park, and then... In time, I was able to open a 5,000-square-foot facility, and we were profitable from, from the first day because we went into it with almost 200 clients, right? So I just started. It wasn't perfect. I didn't have a place, but I had a passion, and I recognized I had a gift for helping people get results. So whatever it is you're sitting on, just get started. If you don't know how to get started, then get a mentor, right? Get someone that can help you get started, all right? So that's my monologue. So as we all know, we've been dealing with this pandemic for a year and a half now. Looks like it's not going away anytime soon. And there's all kinds of theories as to how it started, why it started. And to me, it, it just it just matters what happens to the people that get it. You know what I mean? It's like what happens to the people that get it? Because you hear people say, oh, well, I got it. I had a headache and then I was fine. Yeah, other people who have been bedridden for weeks and sometimes months can, can you guys hear can you guys hear me I got a comment that said no no volume but I'm not I'm not muted so all right I'm gonna assume you guys you guys can hear me oh it came back okay <laughs> I must have tapped the wire then all right so you know it, it, it matters it matters you know everyone's individual story matters because people are gonna talk about their lived experience like we could talk about police brutality. You know, if you've gotten beaten up by the cops, then you're going to have a different opinion than someone who hasn't. Like me, I never have. I've never had, I've been pulled over. I've never had any issues with any officer. So my take on that issue is going to be different than someone else's. So when we're talking about the pandemic, everyone's experiences are different. And my guest today has a story about what she went through with her family. And so we're going to, bring her on and we're going to talk about everything that they went through. Sorry, I paused. I had to open up the, the bio here. So who is she? Okay, She is healthy and whole, best-selling authors. She's a blessed master COVID-19 survivor. And we're going to get, get into what that title means. And life strategista. Okay, She has stepped to the forefront to provide others with good spiritual and practical resources and tips to guide others on how to win in and out of a pandemic. So welcome to the show, Marcy Miles-Clark. Clark Miles? Miles Clark? Miles Clark. Miles Clark, okay. <laughs> welcome yep. to the show. Thank you so much for having me. I love your energy there. Thank you. I, I get that. I, I get that with every single guest. That's the first thing they say. Like, oh, I love yeah. your energy. Yeah, true. <laughs> So I've been a guest on other podcasts where, you know, I'm not going to throw out any names, but I've been like, why, why do you have a show? <laughs> it's like, like the energy is just low. The presence isn't there. There's no passion in, in the voice. You know, it, it, it just doesn't make any sense to me. And Jennifer says, hi, Marcy. Hi, Jennifer. How are you? All right. So where are you joining us from? I am in the Columbia, Maryland area. Maryland. Nice. All right. I nestled between Baltimore and DC for those of you who don't know the geography. Okay. You're like, I want to say my eighth or ninth guest from that area. No, really? I want to say yes. Yep. Like a lot going on minute. here. What's that? A lot going on here. Yeah, absolutely. Well, two two pretty solid uh metro areas there. Yep. All right. So if you you could how would you describe describe yourself? Give me like a like a two-minute bio on who is Marcy. Yeah, so first and foremost, uh, I am a Philly girl, Philly native, Maryland yeah. transplant, but I've been here now almost half my life, so, you know, this is my second home, but um, as you pointed out, you know, nestled between two nice metropolitan areas, still accessible to get, you know, up and down 95 to Philly, so this is my second home for sure. Um, I'm married to my husband, T. Clark. It's been... Um, over what six years we've been married, but we've been together over eleven. He'll tell you probably it seems like two or three times that. That's a, a an inside joke, but nevertheless, it's all good. Um, we are empty nesters of two um, grown children, 
And um, I personally, I'm an author. My husband's a co-author um, of our book, our bestseller book that you mentioned. I'm also a wife. I'm the family caregiver. And I also consider myself to be you know, a person of major faith. And I think we'll be talking about some of those things as the hour progresses. So I'm really looking forward to it. Nice. So what part of Philly are you from? Because there's like two different worlds down there in Philly. It is. I don't know if you know the geography, but I grew up like right outside of Southwest, like over by the airport. Okay. Yeah. Yep. Nice. The whole family is like pretty much Southwest, West Philly, pretty much. Okay. And uh, how would you describe your upbringing? Oh, it was interesting. Interesting. Um, I have <laughs> interesting. So I have a, a big family. Um, I have lots of brothers and sisters, but I grew up pretty much with two brothers. So I'm right wedged right in the middle. Um, I have an older brother and a younger brother. And um, so that was really interesting growing up in the household with guys. Um, I just had a bunch since I have four brothers total, but two, like I said, because of ages that I actually grew up with. And actually with our father. So there was always, you know, a lot of men around. So, yes, go Eagles. Definitely an Eagles mm -hmm. fan. All the Philly teams have to, you know, be a fan by birth. And, um, you know, it's just an interesting environment. I mean, we were literally like right on the city line. So kind of like city, you know, suburb, the best of both worlds. Yeah. And, um, you know, so I'm, I'm pretty well-rounded as a result. I feel like, you know, I can, I'm a little bit of a chameleon. You know, I can kind of mm -hmm. roll like with, you know, doctors and who I talk to on my day job. And then I can, you know, just deal with just, you know, just good old regular people. And um, I really, you know, enjoy um, growing up in, in Philly. It's really great, great preparation for the world, you know, from our driving to our eating habits to, mm -hmm. you know, our, our thick skin. I mean, it's not, you know, a an easy place sometimes, you know, to um, to survive in. And so, you know, you, you learn how to survive um, in the Philadelphia area and, there's probably not too many places out here as a result or too many things that intimidate me Okay, from growing up in Philly. Yeah, it's good. It's good a preparation for life. Love it. Have, yeah. have you have you ran the Rocky Stairs? I have a long time ago. <laughs> I would probably, uh, you know, be um, a little challenged right now if I did that, <laughs> especially yeah. after these COVID-19 pounds or whatever. <laughs> but um, yeah, 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 definitely. Old stomping grounds. Yeah. Lots yeah. of fun around that area. Yeah, it's like I've been to Philly a couple of times, but I haven't done that. That's that's on my list. So. Yeah, you got to do that. That's definitely Philly. Then you got to get a Philly cheesesteak and a Philly oh, yeah. hoagie. And yeah, I did that pretzel. already. I, <laughs> I did that the first time I went to Philly. Okay. That, that, was, okay. A, that was a necessity. <laughs> okay. <laughs> well, hit me up before you go next time, and I'll, I'll definitely let you know, you know, what you need to do. Maybe I'll even meet you in the area, you know, if I'm nearby. All right. Sounds like a plan. Yeah. <laughs> All right. So growing up, what, what was your childhood dream? Believe it or not, um, I always knew that I would not reside in the Philadelphia area. I always aspired kind of to venture out and do other things. I had the luxury of being able to travel. I had a couple of family members who lived in other places. And I started off at a really early age, actually visiting a family member in the LA area. I used to actually go like every summer. So that was really good training for me just to, you know, kind of open my eyes up to different things and just seeing a whole different light outside of Philly. So um, that was really interesting. Um, but from a professional standpoint, I really thought that I wanted to be like a communications person. I was actually a communications major at Temple. And I thought that I wanted to be in the forefront, like an anchor person, like, you know, on, on the news. Yeah. And um, I actually did an internship, like my um, junior year at um, a temple at one of the uh, TV stations. And I just did, I didn't like it. It wasn't, you know, it wasn't for me. And so I decided to go into more of like the sales part, more of like account management and that type stuff. Um, and then, you know, basically um, sales. So I worked, you know, I did a lot in sales through college and really, you know, established myself in sales. And so once I got my degree and had the opportunity to relocate, I decided I was going to take it up a few notches and, you know, get a nice professional sales job. So my background is pharmaceutical sales. That's what I've done for the last 20 something years. So a little bit, I mean, some of the principles translate from, you know, the anchor person. You still got to be on, be in front of people, you know, a lot of probing questions, you know, some of the things actually you know, translate. And it's interesting because now that I'm an author, which we'll talk about that whole thing, how that came about, 
you know, I'm doing interviews and everything. And that was actually one of the things that actually kept me from being um, an anchor person because I really didn't like my presence on camera. So my life has come full circle and here I am 25 <laughs> years later and on camera. <laughs> it's funny how that goes. It's, it's so true. And that's why I started asking that question mm -hmm. because typically people end up doing something in the realm of what they wanted to do prior. It yeah. just takes on a different form. Yeah. Because you know, like people who watch this show on the regular, I say all the time, like my big thing was I wanted to be on TV. Mm -hmm. like that, that was that was my big thing. But then you just start watching what happens to these famous actors. Right. You know, right. Not all of them, but you just see just some type of drop off or some type, type of substance abuse. And right. I, I had the pleasure of meeting Alicia Keys. I know she's not she's not an actress, but she's still a, a celebrity. Mm -hmm. And so as we were waiting in in the room for her to come in, a copy of her itinerary was hanging up on the wall. And every inch of her day was mapped out from mm -hmm. the 6.15 wake up to the 11.30 mm -hmm. p.m. bedtime. Mm -hmm. And I mm -hmm. was like, I don't want that. <laughs> right. Like, You can keep the money and the fame. Like, I don't want that at all. I mean, she, she's obviously navigating it well. Good for her. Mm -hmm. But, you know, people have to find what it is that you want. That's you know, it. What it is that you want. And then so what I'm doing now I'm still in front of people. I get to meet people. I get to meet guests. I get to learn from my guests. My guests hopefully will learn some things from me. And we have people who tune in that want to hear us. Mm -hmm. And the best thing is, is I control when I do this. Yes. You know, not like you have to be here. You have to be, be there. And, you know, there's breaking news. You got to get up out of bed and go, go to the breaking news. And, yes. And on the news, 90% of it is not happy stuff. Yeah, well, I'm a happy-go-lucky guy. <laughs> so, right, like you know, I want to share things that make people feel good. Right, you know? right. So you're right; it all comes full circle. Everything. Mm -hmm. Yeah, that's right. good stuff. Yes. Mm -hmm. All right. So you you graduate? I'm assuming you gra you graduated from from college. Yes. Right? Okay. So what was your first job post college? Actually, um, I started off in pharmaceutical sales. That was okay. my first job. Right. First job, and I had a couple in between. I left the industry, did a couple things, and I also I'm a healthpreneur as well. So I'll break that down to you. Okay. But I'm, I'm a bit of a multitasker, so I know that's why I love your whole shut up and grind because that's like mm -hmm. my life mo. Like get it done, right? Yeah, totally. So background day job, pharmaceutical sales. Um, I'm also a healthpreneur. The health part of it is the pharmaceutical. And then I'm also a real estate agent and a licensed life insurance agent as well. And so, um, you know, and they've overlapped throughout the years, but I have been, you know, pretty consistent in the pharmaceutical industry for the last 20 something years. That was literally how I got to Maryland. My first job relocated me. Yeah. And, you know, and I've kind of doubled and dabbled within, you know, the pharmaceutical uh, arena uh, and different other ventures. Um, Sometimes simultaneously and sometimes not. Um, but that's what I've been doing. That was my first job out of college and, you know, been doing that and different extensions of that for the last 20 something years. It's been a good life because a lot of the things that you said, I'm very much, you know, a people person, um, but I also like to do me. So, I, you know, it's really important for me, whatever I do, all those three things that I named and anything else that I've ever committed to. They definitely have to have a component of, first of all, I'm a capitalist. So I like to make money. So I got to be able to, you know, make some money. I like to be able to help people, you know, but I also like to be able to have autonomy and flexibility. That's everything to me, you know? And so like yourself, that is really important in deciding what I want to do. It was important in deciding my career and, you know, in sales because it checked all those boxes, you know, it was yes. like, I had the ability, as long as I was good and I could um, do what I needed to get done, then, you know, I didn't have any, I didn't have to be in an office. I've never worked in an office um, in my professional life. I've always had a home-based office. And so that's been something that is, you know, awesome. And so now everyone's coming into like this remote kind of virtual environment. And that's something, you know, that I've had the privilege of doing for a really long time. So yeah, and the, the flexibility of, of it is I've had guests on from all over the world. 
Yeah. You know, as, as far yeah. as far east as Australia. Yeah. You know, and you know, as far south as South South America, you know, like from literally all over the world. You know? Literally. So, yeah. yeah, it just it's just amazing how connected the world is. And yes. pe- people to just choose to focus on things that don't serve them. When there's right. so many that like again, I mentioned almost almost every show, you're gonna find whatever you look for. You know, so right. if, if you're looking for problems, you're gonna you're gonna find it. Any of the isms, if you look for them, you're gonna find them. Any of them. That's you know, so you, true. If you look for problems, you're gonna you know, you're gonna find problems. But if you yep. look for opportunities, yes. you will find them. They're yes. there. They're all over. You know, they're yep. all over. So I'm so a man thinketh, so is he. Basically, is- whatever a man thinketh, so is he. Yes. So it starts exactly. here. You know, whatever you think, if you think positive thoughts, that's how it's going to go. If you think negative, yeah. that's what's that's what you're going to bring into your space. Yeah. For sure. I said to one of my one of my fitness clients earlier, she was talking about uh, finding a doctor that will tell her she can run, run again. I said, why do you need, need a doctor to tell you that? Exactly. Decide, decide for yourself that you're going to run again. Exactly. You know, I so said the healing starts up here and that's the healing of, of any type. It does it doesn't matter what you have gone through, you have to make the mental de- decision to move on from it. Completely. You know, and moving on doesn't mean you forget, you know, doesn't mean you surrender. That just means you're allowing yourself to heal and move forward. You know, so yeah. Take me through how you met your husband. So interesting. So I am, like I said, prior to, you know, COVID and having, you know, been thrust into this whole thing with um, the book and everything, I was pretty low key in my private life. So I don't do a whole lot of, you know, virtual social media and that kind of stuff. Mm -hmm. So the funny part is that my husband and I actually met on the internet and I'm the most least likely person that would probably meet somebody on the internet just because I don't, you know, I'm not out there like that and, and him either, you know, but the funny thing is that, um, so we met back in um, the spring of uh, 2010 and the short story is that I like Dr. Phil, that's my boy. And um, Steve Harvey, we met actually on the Steve Harvey website. It was called locate your love. And I don't think he has that anymore, but I just got on there because he was on the Dr. Phil show and he was talking about his website. So I just went in there and just checked it out, just created a profile and then just kind of let it be. I didn't even think about it much more than that. Yeah. And then lo and behold, I guess my husband was doing the same thing. He was led to do the same thing and we ended up connecting. And so, you know, I'm in the um, the Baltimore DC area and my husband at the time was living pretty far out in Virginia. We were probably okay. a good, maybe 90 miles or so between us. We would have never have met. We don't have any of the same circles or any of that kind of stuff, you know? Mm-hmm. So again, like you said earlier, you show people, you know, after you go through things, you see things totally different. So I was one of those people that, oh, I, you know, I'm not going to meet anybody on the internet or, you know, I wasn't interested. I didn't necessarily even think that, you know, you could even meet anyone genuine on the internet, but I'm on the other side of it, happily married to, you know, my soulmate. And um, we definitely are advocates of, you know, dating online. As a matter of fact, a lot of our friends now have met on the internet pretty much, you know, and what we're finding is that in in our age group anyway, um, that a lot of people are pretty much in the same boat. They don't really, you know, they go in the same circles and even less now with, you know, with COVID and not just being able to interact, but, you know, we go to church, we go to work, you know, and, you know, pretty much to the supermarket and all that kind of stuff. And maybe, you know, some social circles, but if they're not in those probably four or five places, then, you know, it's kind of hard to meet people nowadays. So, you know, we found that our, a lot of our friends have met their significant others as well in the same, you know, situation. So, no, um, when, when we're done with, yeah. when we're done, go back to my schedule link and book another episode. Cause okay. I want to I talk about that specifically about, okay. the, about the online dating. Cause you hear so okay. much stuff about that. <laughs> I'm writing that down too. So like I said, I'm booking out into February, so it'll be a while. Yeah. You'll have to have us both on your show. If you really want to have an entertaining show, they call yeah. me and my husband, Martin and Gina, because we go back and forth and it's, <laughs> I hear you, Jennifer, do your thing. But we'll have to talk off offline though, because you know, there's a lot of clowns online too. So you got to know what to yeah. look for, right? Exactly. You do have to definitely use discernment and we 
weed people out, right? So yes, yeah. Um, I, I want to about the, just that whole process that you guys yeah. went went through, and just yeah. go into the you know the first meeting, the first phone call. Like we're going to dive right right into that that whole. Oh, story. you got to hear so, us both tell the story. It's totally yeah. different from. <laughs> yeah, no, absolutely. Yeah, yeah. We'll yeah. take you. Yeah, we'll take you both on. All right. So take me take me through through the pandemic. Like so, when it first yeah. hit, how how did it change your lives up and up until you know what happened? Yeah. So, I mean, um, the pandemic just, we, you know, we ended up having a major episode really early on in the pandemic. So we didn't really get to experience, you know, just, I guess the, I know this is kind of oxymoron, but kind of like the normalcy of the the pandemic, because, you know, we ended up on lockdown and then my husband ended up getting really sick really early on. So literally like the, weekend of the lockdown, the weekend before the lockdown was the weekend that we both started to feel sick. And so, you know, we started off the pandemic in a, in a, in a really negative place. So a really, you know, bad place. And it just kind of just went, you know, awry from there. So there were, you know, at the beginning, I don't know if you want me to start to get into my story or. Oh yeah. Yeah. Dive in. Okay. So, yeah. So, um, my husband and I, like I said, we're pretty much social butterflies. We're kind of all over the place. You know, he works um, in a law firm in downtown D.C. And like I said, I'm in sales, so I'm all over the place. Both of us are. And um, and then we have, you know, we go to a mega church and we just have a lot of friends and family, you know, that we interact with. So we, we're just, you know, we have a lot of different people that in our lives. So the Friday before the lockdown, which would have been March um, 13th, and actually, which is ironic because today is Friday the 13th as well. <laughs> yep. <laughs> yeah, I just thought about that. Mm-hmm. So on that Friday was our last work day. And we knew that, you know, we were, COVID was here, but, you know, people hadn't gotten really sick, but employers were starting to shut down. Um, and we thought it was just going to be, you know, probably just a couple of weeks or whatever. And then, you know, the clock would reset and, you know, everybody would be back to life. I think we're all on the same page. We all can agree to that part. So we both started to kind of, you know, just get tired, feel a little sick on Saturday. For me, I felt like I had a sinus infection. My husband started to rapidly just get all types of like flu symptoms. He had like, you know, um, he had a fever. He had um, a cough or he developed a really bad cough. And he just, you know, he felt sick, chills, the whole nine yards. And it came on like really fast and furious. And so I just kind of nursed him over the weekend and, you know, just breaking his, his, um, his fever with Tylenol and, you know, and giving him cough syrup. And I said, you know, his fever was about 99 to 100. And I told him if his fever hit 101 that we were going to go to urgent care. And then um, like clockwork, Monday morning, his fever hit 101. And so we geared up, like I said, I'm in the healthcare profession. So I already had the mask and the gloves, and all, you know, the whole PPE thing down. And so we went to uh, Patient First, which is a local uh, urgent care in our area. And um, they were already, you know, pretty much uh, on alert for COVID. They already knew about the symptoms and things, but they did not have any. We are we were their first patients, literally. And both of us came walking through the door with with COVID-like symptoms. So they tested both of us to rule out COVID, um, tested us for strep, RSV, and uh, flu, and we didn't have any of it. But because of my husband's symptoms, they made us go over to the hospital and referred us over to the local hospital for COVID testing, just to tell you just how new it was. Urgent cares then weren't even doing, you know, equipped to do COVID testing. So we had to do it at the hospital. Okay. So we go over um, to the hospital and we, you know, we get our COVID tests. And then 24 hours later, we got our results and our results were positive. By that time, my husband's really feeling miserable. So I was in touch, you know, with his doctors and, you know, just kind of letting them know what was going on. Now, my husband is very um, active and both of us active. And he's also a former athlete. So, you know, he's been in in your world. He's been athletic all his life, all through school, through high school, college. And so but he has um, allergies and he also has controlled asthma. So he has doctors, you know, but he's not on any medication or anything, not sick at all. The picture of sick at all. Yeah. So I called his um, I was in touch with his primary care doctor and his pulmonologist and his pulmonologist says, Look, keep an eye on that cough. You know, if his cough gets really bad, I need you to, you know, give me a call back and we'll send him in for um, observation. So 
Um, he started to feel a little better as the week progressed, but his coughs was still lingering and the weekend was approaching and I started to get uneasy. So I called the doctor. By the time we connected, by this time it's Friday and Friday evening, we ended up connecting and he said, no, he said, he's been coughing for way too long. This is how people are dying. Get him to the ER immediately. Let's do a CAT scan of his lungs. No more, you know, enough said. So we were at the hospital within an hour and, uh, you know, we had a good ride there. You know, I, put, I gave him some Tylenol with um, codeine, which the doctor prescribed earlier in the week for his cough. So he slept peacefully. You know, we were just good. I had my little um, faithful music on. My spirits were good. You know, I just had a good feeling. I thought everything was going to be good. So we get to the hospital and the doctor had actually called ahead for us, which ended up saving his life. And, and I'll tell you more about that in a minute. But again, to put things in perspective, too. We were the fourth and fifth um, diagnosed in our county. So single digits. That's how new this okay. was. Okay. Yeah. Just to, you know, bring that home. So we get to um, the ER and the nurse actually is waiting for us on the curb. So that in itself is just a, a blessing. Yeah. So she comes out, she triages my husband. She gets him his temperature, his vitals, everything's normal. So I'm like, okay, good. We're good. And then she takes him in because I can't go in because I have COVID as well. So they're not going to let me in. So he goes in to the ER and I park my car and I park my car with the intention of him going in, getting a CAT scan, being maybe getting a treatment or something and coming out and being on his way in 45 minutes or so. So about 45 minutes, I'm sitting there in the parking lot and um, I don't hear anything. And I'm starting to get a little nervous. I called my husband's cell phone. He didn't answer. He calls me back five minutes later. And puts the doctor on the phone, the ER doctor. The ER doctor says to me very vividly, things are a lot worse here than we envision. And we're going to need your permission to do an emergency intubation. So for you people who are not health care folks, that's ventilator. On the ventilator, tube down your throat, knocked out, medically induced coma. That's what that means. Okay. So I'm sitting there like just startled, as you can imagine, just a whole bunch of emotions, you know, and I'm thinking, is my husband going to die? Am I going to get sicker? Was this the last time that I saw him for, you know, 45 minutes ago? Was that the last time that I saw him alive? Am I going to see him alive? So anyway, um, it just gave me chills. I know. It's, it's so, I tell you, it's been, you know, about 16 months or so now, but every time I tell this story, I go right back and I feel I'm, I'm right back in that car, having that conversation as if yeah. it were, you know, for the first time. Yeah. And, uh, but the good news is that he's sitting here beside me. He's healthy. He's alive. He's well. So I will tell you all that because I know that this is a positive story yeah. and so, or positive show. But, um, you know, that was the first time of the last time that I ended up seeing him. Um, he ended up being in a coma, in a medically induced coma for 28 days. Oh, wow. And yes, for 28 days. And, um, at Johns Hopkins, and he actually ended up in the hospital for a total of 48 days, 46 days, 28 days on the ventilator, 46 days in the hospital. And so, um, again, uh, as I told you, you know, my husband was perfectly healthy, you know, just active, and he came out of the, you know, the coma. We literally prayed him through, hence the name of my book, Praying Wife Healed Husband, because there were times when we didn't think he was going to make it. He was, he had gotten that sick in a week's time, you know, just scary stuff. And to think that somebody who's healthy can really just, you know, see their life just change, you know, in front, see, see such a drastic change in such a short period of time. So there's so many different lessons in our story, you know, yes. but um, we ended up, you know, I formed a prayer group. Like I said, I'm pretty faithful prayers, you know, and prayers and faith have gotten me through some other situations. That's the only thing that I know, you know, get my back up against the wall. I, it was me. I was just me and God in the parking lot. I don't have anything else to do but pray. There's nobody else that's going to be able to get me out of this situation. And so we literally did that. You know, we prayed. I started a prayer chain and then I ended up forming a prayer group, which ended up becoming international during the lockdown. Everybody's at home. And like I said, they were just intrigued by our story because it was so early on. Yes. There was no, you know, there were no vaccines, there were no monoclonal antibodies, there was no remdesivir, none of that stuff that people had to fight it with today. And and the doctors really didn't know what they were doing. And thank God he was in Hopkins, which was one of the best hospitals in the world, 
you know, because they know they didn't know about COVID. They were doing a lot of guessing, but they know about treating patients. They know about how to treat acute illnesses. And so, you know, that just coupled with prayers and good health care, you know, I really just believe were the reason why, you know, he's here today. So, um, you know, that's that's our story. We went through a lot of things during that time, 28 days. Um, I wasn't able to see him in the hospital. Again, I had COVID. The hospitals were locked down. And, um, you know, there were a couple times when they didn't think he was going to make it. I received a call one morning, five o'clock in the morning, where they told me that his oxygen levels had plummeted to critical, critically low levels. Um, they staged an intervention. But if, you know, his oxygen didn't rebound, then, you know, um, they were going to, it's basically going to be all that they could do. And then they were talking to me about end of life stuff, chest compressions and, you know, um, D- DNRs, do not resuscitate and, and all that kind of stuff, you know. And so, um, again, and this is a otherwise perfectly healthy person. You know, I'm 48. I was 47 at the time. My husband's 57. He was 56 at the time. Healthy, middle-aged folks, you know, um, and this happened to us. But, you know, to God be the glory, we're on the other side now. And, um, and now we're sharing our story with others because, you know, we do have so many different, there's so many different things, like I said, wrapped up in that story, the importance of, you know, the spiritual side, the prayers and the faith. And then, of course, the medical side and just having, you know, your your practical resources in order, you know, having a physician like his physician saves his life by being able to call ahead into the ER and being able to have them meet us. It's just so many different stories, you know, and having good uh, resources and good you know, health insurance and, and just being able to have somebody to pick up to call when you get sick that can advocate for you and tell you the right things to do. When you may have otherwise decided, uh, you know what, I'm good. I'm just got a little cold, just going to ride it out. In this particular case, if we did that, then my husband wouldn't be here today. So that's it. It can go on for days, but that's kind of our story in a nutshell. Take take me through your mindset when the doctor called you and told you about the, the plummeting oxygen levels. Yeah, that's another one of those things that I can go right back to. I know exactly. I, I can hear the conversation like verbatim. And, um, you know, I just I just I just thought, you know, at this point, I think he was about two weeks in. Um, and I just thought this this is this might be it. This could be it, you know. And um, I just again, I just did what I knew to do. I wanted to fall apart both scenarios the first time I heard it. And the second time I wanted to, but I knew that, that that would not fix a thing, you know? And so, you know, I've just kind of learned before just to kind of think on my feet. I knew that I had to activate some prayers, prayer chain. I had to get some messages out to some family and friends, you know, and let them know what was going on so that we could start, you know, praying for them. That was the only thing we could do at that time. Nobody could go to the hospital. And even if we went to the hospital, there was nothing we could do. And so, you know, we did what we what we knew to do, and that was to pray for him in both situations. That was all that we had. But um, you know, it's just it's just crazy. I mean, your heart just literally just drops to your to your to the floor, you know, because you're just getting this information that's telling you pretty much that your your loved one is in jeopardy, and there's a strong possibility that you may not see him again. And that was the scenario pretty much both times. And so we actually um were able to. Um, go up and see him that day because they didn't think he was going to make it through the night. So they made an allowance for me and two other family members to go in to see him. And so we actually went in and I was able to see my husband for the first time. And like I said, in about two weeks at that time, and uh, he was on a ventilator, you know, he was on his stomach and what they call the prone position. And he had tubes coming from everywhere. He didn't know we were there. He was in a medically induced coma he had, you know, the tube down his throat and um, he didn't know what part of the world that he was in. And this was a person that I dropped off at the curb two weeks later who walked into the hospital. And here he is, you know, sitting here fighting for his life. And so that in itself was really scary. And I actually have pictures of that, you know, in my book, we were actually able to take pictures. And I'm really glad that we did. Because, you know, there's just so many different things going around today, different fallacies and lack of information about COVID, what it really, how serious it really is. And, you know, I'm here today and my husband's here as living witnesses to really show people just what this disease can do. And we have, you know, before we have during and we have after pictures, because once my husband actually came out of the coma, that was like the beginning of another chapter. 
because now he has, you know, basically paralysis, you know, and atrophy, which, you know, basically we know what paralysis is, yeah. but atrophy is basically, you know, because you're healthy. Yeah, yeah. You're a, muscle. a fitness guy, right? Loss of muscle, exactly. So, you know, the old saying, you if you don't use it, you lose it. So, you know, he was in a coma for 28 days. He didn't walk or hadn't used any of his muscles or anything. So everything just became, you know, kind of just like limp. He had to learn literally how to walk again. He had to learn how to swallow again. Just, you know, uh, you know, eating and bathing, all that kind of stuff was a, was a challenge. He had major rehab for almost a year in the hospital, in the home when he came home, and then afterwards outpatient. And it's just, you know, it's just a true testimony to, um, to, to grace, first of all, grace and mercy and good healthcare and all those other things that we talked about, but it's also, you know, a really good testimony for us to just talk to people about how serious this disease is and how it doesn't discriminate and how, you know, you all have the ability to protect yourselves when we otherwise didn't. So that's something that's really near and dear to our hearts having been, you know, affected so early on. And now being on the other side, like I said, about 16 months later, when there are resources, you know, um, there are antivirals and there are, you know, there's more knowledge and there's more ventilators now. And there's vaccines that can keep you from even experiencing any of these kind of things. And so we're really passionate now about getting the word out to people about, you know, how serious this disease is and how you can really protect yourself. So you strike me as a very positive woman, but I have to ask this question. How, how does it make you guys feel when you hear people saying that it's a hoax? Oh, my goodness. I think you already know the answer to that. But I'm, I'm, <laughs> the eye roll said it all. <laughs> I know. I know. I, I'm, I'm so for those, for those that's going to be hearing this on the audio platform, you missed a great <laughs> eye roll. <laughs> Ahead, I'm, I'm so not, I'm definitely like very expressive. So you, if you don't hear it, you will definitely see it as Rob just experienced firsthand a hoax. I don't even know where to start. This is so real. This is so real. And uh, it's anything but a hoax. This is real. It's truly no joke. And um, I'm here to tell you firsthand. And the other thing is that um Again, two different people affected totally different. I am, you know, both of us again healthy. I was mild. My husband got the the terrible end of it, the worst of the worst, right? And it just goes to show you that you just don't know, no matter what your background is, you don't know if and how you're going to be affected. You don't know if you're going to be a Marcy, if you're going to come through it mild. You don't know if it's if if you're going to be T. And you're going to end up having to go through what he went through. You just don't know. But I will tell you one thing. It is anything but a hoax. And I'm here to tell you firsthand, nobody's paying me either way. You know, I don't get paid either way. So, it, you know, I'm just telling I'm here just to tell you the truth. If you don't believe it, then you need to get our book, page 42, picture on the ventilator. That is far but a hoax, far from a hoax. Wow. Yeah. So so Jen experienced it, too. Yes. She said, my experience doesn't even come close to yours, but it has really messed up a good portion of my year. I tested yeah. positive April 14th, about one yeah. week before they opened up the vaccine to my age group. Yes. And I'm just now pulling out of the long haul symptoms and still not back to work. Yes, absolutely. Absolutely, Jen. You know, my husband, same thing. He had some long hauler symptoms as well. He just really started to, to sleep good um, here the last like couple months. And that was really like when things started to open up, we ended up, you know, really getting away and being able to take a vacation. And I think his body just got to reset. But prior to that point, he was still having issues, you know, and from being in the ER, just, you know, his body just was used to waking up every couple hours from, you know, being in the, um, not in the ER, from being in the ICU. But, um, you know, he also experienced, like I said, from the atrophy and all, he also experienced um, issues with nerve damage in his arm. And one of his arms. So, you know, he had to majorly rehab and get all type of diagnostic testing. He's the one you really want to talk to. I mean, he's going to break it down for you from his standpoint. And as a matter of fact, we actually, um, he there's a two chapters in the book that he actually wrote from his perspective, starting with when he woke up. Because we get a lot of questions, you know, I tell my story all the time. And now that we're on the other side, but he can really, really tell you, you know, from his perspective, just how horrible this is and what it did to him and how, you know, he had to reset 
and you know how his independence was on the line and which messes with your psyche when you're used to being a totally you know independent successful person coming and going and now you have to you know where you have to depend on other people to help you go to the bathroom to wipe your butt to feed you it's you know if if that's not enough to get some people off of the fence to protect themselves i'm not sure what else to tell you but um you know, the clerks are definitely here to share our story. And we really, really, you know, hope and we pray that um, we're able to touch some lives and that we're able to keep people from going through what we went through. Powerful. It's powerful, powerful stuff. Yeah. Yeah. Is he, is he nearby? He is. He's bring my him. executive producer. <laughs> bring him on. Bring him on. Yeah, bring, bring him on. on have, have him, have him on share. Timetable here. So I'm praying wife. he's healed hubby. I'm not healed husband. I'm not sure. Are you getting on camera? Okay, there he goes. Yeah, we go. Yeah, yeah. So first, welcome. Thank and, you. Uh, thank you. You know, and you know, hats off to you for and enduring all that and pulling through. But just like take us through it from in your own words. You know, it happens so fast. It's it's really kind of hard to comprehend. One minute I was feeling perfectly fine. The next minute I developed a cold, I started getting chills, fevers, and I'm used to having some of those symptoms because I have chronic allergies. Mm -hmm. So I didn't really put too much into it. But when the cough started, that's when it got to be scary. Um, my chest was on fire. The only way I could find any relief is I would have to kind of sloop down in what they call the cradle position, prone position. Yeah. And my wife found me one night looked over the ironing board and she was like kind of chastised what are you doing get in the bed and I was like I can't this is the only way I feel like I can breathe wow. and that was the start of us realizing it was getting a lot more serious so mm -hmm. just to, to back up a little bit uh, Marcy had given me some cough medicine to kind of reduce the fever with codeine so what by the time we got to the hospital I was really out of it I was loopy I was fine you know in fact my temperature was normal so as they, you know, triaged me at the entrance, she couldn't come in. They looked back and said, oh, his vitals are fine. So I was going there for a typical CAT scan that was um, arranged by a doctor ahead of time. And I'm, I don't know if Marcy talked about that, mm -hmm. but that was a life-saving measure. So when we get into the ER, it was so new. Everybody was terrified, you know, because we were, what, four and five in our county. Mm -hmm. They didn't have any protocol set up for the machine as far as sterilization, how to set it up for a COVID patient. So they were really nervous about that. And the doctor said, look, we can't wait. Just looking at him, he needs to get something. Let's give him a, a, a chest x-ray. Based off of that chest x-ray, it came back that I was in lung failure. Now I'm sitting in the room waiting for the doctor to come in. And I, you know, I kind of rose up off the gurney. I said, all right, doc, I know. Just give me a prescription. I'll get my medicine. I'm going to go home and go to sleep. And he looked at me dead and says, Mr. Clark, uh, no. He said, your lungs are failing and I need to intubate you right away. Now, let me tell you, Robert, I was I was kind of loopy, but that woke me up really quick. And I was like, well, mm -hmm. I had to make him say it two or three times because I thought I was still asleep. And at, the, at that moment, I know my wife had been calling and my phone was on the other end. So I finally got the phone, called her back, and that's when the doctor got on the phone and asked her for her permission. But by that time, they'd already started an IV. Yeah. And I was out. And that's all I remember for 28 days being on that ventilator. And I will tell you, um, there were instances, and I think it was the days that they came to visit me, I actually heard the conversations that they were having with the doctors. And I repeated one of them back to my daughter verbatim because she's in the medical field in veterinary medicine. And she was talking to the nurse about the different machines and how they work and how the dosages. And I remember waking up and I, I asked the doctor, I said, my, my daughter was just here talking to you guys. Can you get her to come in? Mm -hmm. I thought she actually worked there. <laughs> and um, when she came over to see me, I repeated this conversation. She was like, oh my God, did you hear that? So when people ask you, if you're under and you can hear, you definitely can hear. You definitely, I heard the entire conversation. But, you know, just getting back to waking up in the ICU, I was, Robert, it was tough. It was tough. As Marcy alluded to, they were, they were basically waking me up every two hours to do vitals. Yeah. Um, during the day, it wasn't as bad because I was half up anyway, but trying to get any rest at night, 
that was horrible. And it took me almost a year to get over that because my body was conditioned to wake up 12 o'clock, two o'clock, four o'clock, five, mm. six o'clock. And um, I, it just, it was so frustrating. And then I would be so tired in the morning because I'm just exhausted. But um, as she mentioned, I came home an infant. I couldn't walk. I couldn't, I could barely talk. I couldn't swallow. Um, I had to learn how to do all that stuff over again. I had to hire a personal um, in-house aide to assist me with just the basis of standing up, getting to the bathroom, you know? And I really had to humble myself because I had never thought I would be in a position that I have to count on someone like that other than my wife, you know? And I felt bad for her because she tried it the first night. She was like, I can't do this. You know, I can't do this alone. Because if I was to fall, she wouldn't be able to get me back up. You know, how, how did that affect you just as a man? It was real. It's funny you mentioned that. It was really tough because I remember in the hospital um, when I first woke up and the doctors were asking me a bunch of questions. And my first inclination was I wanted to get up and use the bathroom. And that's when I realized I couldn't move. I was paralyzed and I, I, I totally freaked out. My blood pressure went through the roof. I remember talking to my wife that night and I just broke down. I was like, oh, my God, how am I going to provide for you? How am I going to take care of this family? It froze. It would froze. restore my body, but it was tough. Sorry, say that. Say that last part. Part again. It froze. Oh, about um, I, I was just saying. Speaking with my wife, um, I was very um, uncomfortable uh, with the fact that I thought I wasn't going to be able to provide for the family. Uh, I'm going to take care of you. You know, who's going to cut the grass? Who's going to do this? Who's going to take care of the family? I said, will I ever be able to walk again? You know, and she was on the back end. It's okay, babe. It's fine. They're going to work with you. But I'm telling you, it was very hard to believe that that was going to happen because I literally could not move. Yes. Like, you know, it's it's called, you know, they're they're trying to call it toxic masculinity now. But it's 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 a it's a real thing. Like, it's a real thing. Like we are wired to provide and protect, you know, like that's right. what, that's what testosterone does. Cause like right. when I had my, my knee injury in 2009, I was 34 years old and I was at home with a walker and my, my ex's cousin had to come to, to the house to, to babysit the twins and mm-hmm. me. <laughs> and <laughs> so, like she would, she would help me get to the bathroom. Like once I got there, I could go on my own, but she would help me get there. She'd make my lunches for me. Like, and I never felt, less more less of a man than that moment exactly. it's like, yeah like people don't understand like that hurts our soul when yeah. we can't when we can't provide you know it's yeah. not it's not an ego thing it's like it's what we're born to do exactly you know? so when that gets taken from you like it, it hurts you deeply like deeply so that, that, was, that was why i wanted to ask that yeah couldn't have put it any perfect and yeah, you're exactly right mm-hmm. yes yeah, so you guys write the book together. How was how that process? Yeah, so um, our book actually, <laughs> is, I know, it's, 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 it's interesting how that came about. The um, The whole time he was in the hospital, I was um, journaling on the back end just for mental health, clarity, all that good stuff. And then I also, I was sending out texts to my prayer group and to our family um, with updates. Um, but when I was also talking, I was also talking to his providers on a regular basis. So I started off with little sticky notes and then they ended up um, basically becoming a full sheets of paper. And so before it was all said and done, whenever I would talk to somebody during the course of the day, because I'm talking to his providers five and seven times a day, I ended up having a binder full of notes, literally just like, you know, with progress kind of tracking, you know, um, from the last time I talked to him to the next time. And, you know, and I was doing this all really just to stay sane, really, and just to stay organized. But as it turns out, I ended up just having like a significant amount of content after he, you know, started to recover. And again, we had a lot of interest in our story because he was so, he had gotten so sick so fast and it was so early on. And so we had, you know, a lot of like um, media coverage and stuff. They actually filmed his hospital discharge and actually wheeled him out in a wheelchair, the whole nine yards. And so, you know, and they followed us and did updates and things. So people were really interested in our story. And so I just had like friends and, you know, family just say, you know, you really should um, think about writing a book, you know. And 
I hadn't thought about writing a book. I was on a, a hundred literally last year between, you know, job and, you know, I was, cause I was still working remotely and doing, you know, my, my other stuff and, and taking care of him, you know, and I was just, um, not at all thinking about writing a book and definitely not a survival story. If you would have asked me before, I would have said I probably would have wrote a book on real estate or insurance or something. But anyway, as it turns out, a lot of interest in the story and we had a bunch of content. And so, you know, it wasn't that far-fetched, you know, when we started to get some of those ideas. So, you know, we thought about it, we prayed about it and everything just really came together. Like you said, I don't know anything about writing a book whatsoever. Right. But, I knew what I needed to do. I had a message at this point. We had a message and we know that we need to get it done. And so what we did was just what you say. We got it done. We didn't know anything about book writing. So what we did was we consulted with people who know how to write books. And so, yeah, so so that's, you know, what we were able to do with our content. We just, you know, got some good editors and stuff to help us, you know, to form the storyline and organize everything. And before we know it, we ended up with a book. So you know, the book was really, again, like from my perspective, but as I was writing, I was like, hey, babe, you need to write. Like, I need you to put a couple chapters in here because people want to hear from you. Like, you know, you need to tell the story. So he did that. And it was actually great because it was part of his recovery. He was at home at the time. He was doing inpatient or in-home and uh, physical therapy and stuff. And I think that it really just, you know, I think it really just helped them. It was very therapeutic. And it yeah. actually gave me um, more of an insight on what was happening when I was on the ventilator. Cause a lot of the stuff I was unaware of. So yeah. yes. um, we have a funny story. We'll talk about we it later, funny but she's, you know, I, I'm, I'm Martin, she's Gina. And every five okay. minutes I'm yelling as says, I can't read this. What does this symbol mean? And so I gotta, I gotta tell you this real quick. So like I said, my book, I was writing for me, my notes, right? my progress notes. I never intended for anybody else to ever see this. This is like writing like your journal, right? Yes. So I didn't know at the time I was writing a book, right? I'm just writing for me. So when it came time for us, when we really decided to write a book, I had to literally, I had, you know, a, a binder like this. And I literally had to get my notes transcribed into text. So, you know, it's a fine text. Yeah. And um, so I was going to you know, outsource that. But my husband was there and he's good at that kind of stuff. And so he ended up doing it. So in doing so, you know, of course, he went back and forth. He got on me about my hieroglyphics because that's what they look like. <laughs> like you know, he's like, what is this? You know, but he ended up translating all of my notes and literally typing them out for me. And so it ended up just being, you know, just a nice collaborative effort. You know, he really, really participated. It's really, truly our book. You know, like I wrote the majority. He got his, he has his chapters, but he helped me. He definitely organized them. And, you know, it was really just a good um, it was a good opportunity for both of us, because like he said, he got to kind of get inside my head and find out what I was thinking and how I was feeling. You know, when he started to transcribe my notes and stuff and he didn't even realize again because he was under for 28 days. He didn't even realize my notes were from the outside, from my perspective, what I was observing and hearing and feeling and thinking. And so he didn't even, he had no idea of what had gone on on the outside while he was under. So he got to really, truly just like kind of understand and relive that whole thing. So that in itself was really impactful, you know, and it really, really helped, you know, our relationship. And I think it gave him purpose and a lot of different things when he was, you know, at some lower points. So you use the word therapeutic. I want I want you to give a message to my sister. Okay, so she had a brain aneurysm burst in 2016. Mm-hmm. Those, those things only have a 20% survival rate. 20%. Mm-hmm. So she's still here. And she's just like angry that it happened. She's just angry. Because like she was always very independent. She was athletic. She's very involved in schools. She's a spe- uh-huh. special education director up in Massachusetts. Uh-huh. And, and I've, I've been trying to urge her to tell her story. I said, if you tell your story, it's going to help you heal. Mm. Right? It's going to help you heal. So I promise you. So I got her to do an off-air interview with me. Mm-hmm. So, like she didn't want to record it, so we spoke on the phone for an hour, and uh, and she op- she opened up about it, and and I was like, you have to slap a theme on what happened to you and get back into these colleges 
and teach the kids. And the, the theme I gave her was seize the moment. You know, use yes. that theme. Go into these colleges and tell these kids you have to seize the moment when the opportunity arises because you mm-hmm. never know when mm-hmm. things like this will happen. Absolutely. You know? I'm and a firm believer. So, and she's so resistant. So if you if you can just share your experiences in sharing your story, what ha- has that done for you all internally? First of all, I want you to make sure that I'm going to have your mailing address. I'm going to send your sister a copy of our book. I think it'll be very inspirational. Okay. Um, Secondly, um, you know, I really firmly believe that things happen for a reason. Um, And we, I went through that and I was like, oh my God, you know, why me? And, uh, you know, am I going to end up, you know, this was right on the heels too of Kobe Bryant's death. I'm like, oh my God, is this how um, Vanessa is feeling? Am I getting ready to be a, a, a widow? You know, there's a lot of different things that you different feelings that you go through when you're going when you when you're going through and when you get on the other side. Um, But I firmly believe the short answer is I firmly believe that you go through things for a reason. And I think that God chooses people that he knows and can trust to tell his story, Mm -hmm. to tell the other side. And so there's a reason why your sister went through what she went through. And I would love to talk to her, too, because my mother had a massive stroke at 32 years old and her life was was forever changed. And um, she um, she lived 20 years or so after. Um, I also lost a sister 37 years old to breast cancer. So this was not my first rodeo. And, um, you know, and now I took care of my husband and then and I'm also caregiver for my grandmother, who's almost 96 years old. Wow. And so, yeah, so obviously I have a calling. <laughs> I don't you know. And um, so I really, truly believe that, you know, these things happen around me to me because, again, I God knows that I do know how to handle it for one. And secondly, he knows that he can trust me to tell the story and to do what I need to do to get on the other side and then tell the story once we get on the other side. So that's my perspective. And then uh, T, you want to answer that question? I just think it helps, you know, your your mind, your body and your soul truly come to grips of what what happened. You know, sometimes you just need to grieve and release. And, you know, for me, transcribing her notes was a way for me to kind of understand exactly what happened. I knew I was sick and I knew I gotten deathly ill, but I didn't realize the magnitude of what was going on behind the scenes and with my family and what everybody was thinking and what everybody most importantly was doing for me, for my recovery, as far as the praying. So it really, really helped me a great deal. And my husband, you know, like I said, he, he was like a superstar. And all of a sudden he found himself in a really low place. And so, you know, he had a really hard time um, initially. Um, and I just had to keep him, you know, positive, you know, praying. We had a lot of love and support around us. That's very important as well. Um, and you just got to, you know, again, like you and I talked about in the beginning, you really have to keep your mind right because your mind is so vulnerable at that point. I mean, you literally can go either way. You know, your mind can tell you, oh my God, what happened? Why me? All those things to take you to really low places. Or it can tell you, you know what? You got this. You got this. There's a reason why you went through this. It's not the first time you went through through something. You've seen how God has delivered you through other things. You're going to get through this. You know what I mean? And, And that's what you do. And so my husband and I, we have this thing where like, you know, he definitely, he endured the physical. I went through, you know, the mental and the emotional, you know, on the outside, he went through all the above and I went through the mental and the, the uh, emotional on the outside. But um, I can honestly tell you that he was determined, determined that he was not, that was not going to be his fate. And he'll even tell you like in therapy and different things, like you said with your other friend, why, why are you waiting for somebody to tell you you can walk? My husband said, listen, I got to get up out of here. I got family to get home to. I got stuff that I need to do. What do I need to do? What do I need to do? He said to his therapist, what you know, benchmarks do I need to obtain to be able to get up out this piece? And then literally... And he can turn a little light on that real quick because yeah, I never because probably... I was, you know, I was really anxious to get home by our anniversary, and they were not planning on releasing me for several weeks. And I was like, mm, "That's not gonna happen. Mm-hmm. What do I need to do?" Mm-hmm. They said, "Well, you need to meet a few thresholds. You need to be able to walk twenty feet. 
okay. I, I was up all night thinking about that and they were waking me every two hours anyway. Mm-hmm. So when the therapist came in the next morning, not only did I walk to 20, I walked an additional 60. Mm-hmm. I walked 20 with, with the walker and um, another 60 without. And it took me a while, but I did it. Wow, you're motivated. I said, you have no idea. I'm so sick and tired of y'all coming in here two o'clock sticking me. (laughs) I'm ready to go home. (laughs) And get some real food. That's a whole nother story. I was on a had a feeding tube and I couldn't eat or swallow and the stuff they were serving me. I was like, you got to be kidding me. My fat boy likes to eat, so he wasn't feeling that. Where's my steak? (laughs) Steak, yes. (laughs) (laughs) Wow, so time time flies, man. Yes. (laughs) Time flies. Yes. I want to thank you both for taking the time. Uh, Do you want to give a final word? Go ahead, give us a final word, and then we'll break it down. Yeah, we, um, our final word really is, um, we, again, we are really grateful that we're on the other side. We're extremely grateful. It's been a heck of a year and um, our lives have been forever changed. Um, but, you know, again, we believe that there was a reason why, you know, we, we were given this this calling. Um, but one of the things that, you know, it's really important, especially right now, as we're in the season of the increase of the COVID variants and we're kind of back to square one in many ways, even worse because, now it's more becoming a voluntary um, pandemic. When we got affected, we didn't have any resources. And so, again, we just really, um, we told our story. My husband, you know, can tell you, and it's, again, it's in our book, um, about firsthand about all the things that he went through, and all the mental anguish and the physical, all the, but we wouldn't wish this on our worst enemy. Um, you guys have resources now. You have the vaccine. We are obviously um, vaccine advocates. We do understand some of the hesitancy, but at this point, you really can't afford not to get the vaccine because you know the alternative. Um, And now um, all of the the, um, current COVID patients are pretty much, hospitals are full with unvaccinated people. This is so unnecessary, people. You don't have to do this. You don't have to go through this, you know? Um, you do have a resource at your fingertips now. So consult with your physician, do your prayers, you know, and make an informed decision. Do not pay attention to social media. That's not where you, it's entertainment. That's not where you get um, information and uh, make an informed decision. Decide why, you know, why you need to get the vaccine. Pick a reason, pick one, but get it done. Get it done. Awesome. So great, great words of wisdom there. So thank you both for taking the time. So for those listening, check out prayingwifehelps.com. If you want the book to get their, their full story, although we got a good ch- chunk of it here, but I'm sure, sure the book goes much deeper. Yeah. Oh, yeah. You know, <laughs> T, thank you for joining in. You know, thank you for having me. Thank you for having me. Yep. Yeah. You can also follow us, too, on, um, on Facebook and Instagram. Our handle is prayingwife helps and um or at praying wife helps and then you have the website as well all right awesome well you two have yourselves a great day and i'm serious too go go back to my schedule link and book another book book another episode we'll talk about that online dating oh we that would be fun (laughs) (laughs) yeah i really think we could have a great great discussion about that (laughs) we shall thanks for having us rob it's been a pleasure you have a wonderful day thanks Thanks you as well Thank you. All right. So if you're just tuning in late, make sure you go back and watch the entire episode. So the biggest takeaway here is that it's not what happens to you. It's what you do in response of what happens to you. So they took this situation that nearly took away Marcy's husband. And now they're using it as, as power to motivate, to inspire, to encourage others. So like I always say, life's always going to throw you mountains. You can't complain about the greater the mountain, but you can make yourself stronger to climb it. That's all I have for you for today. Have a great day. I'll be back on Monday.